When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The Fun Factory. Written and read by Chris England. Chapter 16. Be it ever so humble. I must say, I said, as the doors closed behind us, judging by the facade and the lobby, I thought the actual rooms would be bigger. Very good, Charlie smirked. Have you never been in an elevator before? We had, of course. A good number of theatres that we had played in, both in the States and England, had them backstage for a start. But I said, No, mister, is it like a magic box? Are you going to disappear us? I'm scared. The doors pinged open again after a ride that was so smooth we barely noticed it had even happened. This way, Charlie called out, and led the way along a wide corridor, brightly sunlit thanks to a floor-to-ceiling picture window at its far end. He came to his apartment and opened the door with his key. Be it ever so humble, he sang, there's no place like home. He was right about that. There was no place like his home, no place that I'd seen anyway. His apartment was stupendous, a suite of rooms of such elegant splendour that we stopped in our tracks just inside the door. A dining room with a great long redwood table was ahead of us. To our left we could just see into a bedroom, immaculately tidy, with a four-poster bed, while along to our right was a luxurious sitting room with handsome high-backed chairs arranged as though ready for a recital of some sort on the grand piano. As we stepped wonderingly into this palace, we could see that windows ran the whole length of the outside wall, offering a view over the rooftops of downtown Los Angeles to the shimmering blue Pacific beyond. "'It's lovely and cool up here,' Tilly said. "'Do you know why that is?' Charlie said. "'On the floor above us, above our heads, is a swimming pool.' "'No.' "'Yes, can you believe it? "'166 gallons of water weighing one and a half million pounds.' "'I saw Stan and Freddy both flinch involuntarily "'at the thought of so much weight suspended above their heads. "'And a little further over there are Turkish baths, "'which I'm told should help to keep us snug in the winter. "'I don't know about that.' I haven't been here long enough yet. I noticed a glass door leading out onto a balcony and stepped towards it. As I did so, I heard a chopping noise coming from a previously unsuspected kitchen, and I stopped. Ah, don't be alarmed, Charlie said. That is only Poynton. Oh, Poynton, show yourself, there's a good chap. The chopping ceased, and a serious-looking young man in a bronze and black striped waistcoat moved into the dining room as if on casters. "'Some drinks for my guests, I think,' Charlie said. "'Did you chill a bottle of the bubbly?' "'Indeed, sir,' the young chap said with a bow of his head. "'All right, then. Chop-chop.' "'By which I mean open it and bring us some glasses, not go back to your chopping.' "'Understood, sir,' 
the young fellow said, and disappeared back into the kitchen, from where we shortly heard a tell-tale pop. Who was that? Tilly mouthed. Poynton. He's my valet. Your valet, Stan goggled. You have a valet? Yes. He's preparing our luncheon right now. Charlie sauntered over to the balcony door to open it, and from the looks that passed between my friends behind his back, the valet was the final straw, the thing that really put the tin lid on it all and tied it up with a ribbon. A little later, we all sat out on Charlie's balcony, sipping cool champagne in the sunshine. Tilly and I were taking it in turns to clutch onto Wallace, who was desperate to run around, because the railings were sufficient to save an adult from a fall to the death, but were in no way close enough together to do the job for an infant. When Tilly wasn't looking, I let the tiny man have a sip from my glass, and that, coupled with the noonday warmth, slowed him down for a while. "'There are three types of movies that we make at Keystone,' Charlie was saying. "'The first is the park movie, where we take the crew to a nearby park, "'which has trees, benches, a boating lake, that sort of thing, "'and we'll come up with something there. "'Then there is what we call the event movie, "'which is where we take advantage of something that is already happening, "'such as the motor car racing picture you saw yesterday. "'Mabel's busy day,' I said. "'Just so. "'And then we have the studio movie, "'which we would shoot on the lot at Keystone over in Edendale. "'You remember the lot, don't you?' I do, Stan said, lapping this stuff up. And we will build a set, as required, with the ceiling open to the sky so that we can make use of the wonderful Californian light. And it's going well, Tilly said. Charlie leaned back and closed his eyes, the very picture of self-satisfaction. Let's just say this. Every movie studio in Los Angeles, and some in Chicago, New York and San Francisco, has approached me, or should I say my representatives, about enticing me away from Keystone. Mac, that's Mac Sennett, you remember? Stan and I nodded, having met the Keystone boss a few times when he was chasing Charlie the year before. Mac, Charlie went on, is pestering me to make a new deal, as he only signed me up for twelve months. Wasn't sure I was going to be a hit, you see. I said to him that I would sign on for next year if he would agree to pay me one thousand dollars a week. A fat... Freddy gasped, unable to finish the word because his jaw was on the deck. He said that was more than he was paying himself. And I said, was it he whose name was on big letters outside every movie house? Is it him that folk are queuing around the block to see? I had a sudden vision of Charlie's head swelling so large that it eclipsed the sweltering midday sun. You've already done so many pictures, Stan said. How long does each one take? Well, Charlie said, steepling his fingers, pleased to have the chance to show off more expertise. The one-reelers may be 12 or 13 minutes long. They take around a week to conceive, shoot and edit together, and then we're on to the next. But just now we're working on the first ever full-length comedy feature in the history of film, a six-reeler, where we can tell a whole story. Well, that sounds incredible, Tilly said. What is the title? Charlie paused and looked straight into her eyes. It is called Tilly's Punctured Romance, he said softly. Tilly gave a little gasp, and even I felt my heart pick up the pace a little. Tilly's, Tilly's punctured romance. Just then, the admirable Poynton appeared silently in the doorway and leaned down to speak in Charlie's ear. Ah, our host cried, luncheon is served, shall we? We all drifted into the dining room, where the table was positively groaning with a handsome buffet of cold meats, salads and fruit. And as we tucked in, that title was left hanging in the air above our heads. 
I could see that Tilly was seriously unsettled by it, and to be frank, I was myself. Had Charlie really written a full-length film about her? That was surely what he was implying. And what did that mean? Had Charlie been... pining for her? All this time? After we had all eaten our fill, and then forced a little bit more down because we had no idea when we might ever see a board groaning quite as loudly as this one again, we repaired to the balcony again, and point and furnished us with hot coffee. Oh, not for me, Tilly said. In this heat? It works, Charlie insisted. A hot drink is sometimes just the thing on a hot day. It goes against your intuition, I know, but it does work. Why do you think cricketers drink tea all summer long? Because they're English, I said. Ha <laughs> ha! Yes, of course, that too. Then Charlie began describing at great length and in great detail his motor car, a 1912 Kissel car roadster. It is bright red, like a fire engine, and I can carry four passengers in comfort, although I much prefer to travel alone. Do you know what I like best about it? The horn. It has such a comical noise, I feel like a clown. Little Wallace was as bored as I was, and suddenly galloped back into the apartment, and I was grateful for the excuse to slip back inside for a while. All right, my laddo, I muttered as I jogged after the boy. Let's see if we can't find some jam for you to stick your fingers into, and then you can have a go on that grand piano. Oh, now, come on, Stan said as he strolled into the room behind us. That's only making work for poor Mr. Poynton. Yes, I suppose you're right, I admitted. We need to find something properly breakable for you to play with, my boy. Behave yourself, Stan chided. We're civilised people. We can have a pleasant lunch with an old friend without settling scores. You can, maybe, I muttered. Stan frowned and glanced out to the balcony, where Fred and Tilly were laughing at some fresh anecdote of Charlie's. Listen, Arthur, he said dropping his voice somewhat. I've been wondering. You don't think, do you, that we've missed a trick? What trick? Well, you know, by pushing Charlie towards Keystone just to clear the way for ourselves. We've kind of, haven't we, shot ourselves in the foot? In the feet, strictly speaking, one foot each. Arthur, Stan said a little sharply, I thought, will you just concentrate for a moment on what I'm saying to you? Sorry, go ahead. It's just that well, you can see how well Charlie is doing. Hard not to, the way he's rubbing our noses in it. So perhaps we ought to think about... Stan left the thought hanging there. About? You know, about the flickers. You, my friend, have had too much of that bubbly. This might just be the perfect time to ask. Stan tailed off again, as if he was anxious about how I would react to what he was suggesting to me. Ask who? Ask what? You know, ask Charlie. For some help. Point us in the right direction, you know. Tell us who we might try to meet. I sighed. We've got a good thing going, haven't we? Eh? The four of us? The nutty burglars? It's a great little number. I was thinking it would make a nice little movie, Stan mused. I've no doubt, I said. It'd be better than that thing of Charlie's we saw yesterday for a start-off. But then, think about it, Stan, think. Then we'd never be able to do it on the stage again. It would be extinguished. Whereas if we stick at it, we can make a living out of it for years to come. And it's only going to pick up momentum and get bigger and bigger. Just a bit of patience. That's all we need. I know, but... Well, look at where he is and where we are. It's hard not to wonder. That's all I'm saying. Listen, I said. So he's got all this. This apartment. The piano. A valet, for Christ's sake. But is he happy? Eh? Just then, with perfect timing... Charlie began to laugh like a drain out on the balcony, showing all his perfect white teeth. 
"'You're right,' Stan said. "'He's suffering the very torments of hell.' "'You didn't see him, Stan, at Quinn's Superba yesterday, "'standing at the back, watching the crowd, watching his flick. "'He wanted the laughter. He missed it. "'Whatever he says, he'd a million times rather "'be on stage with an audience in the palm of his hand "'than lurking with a scarf over his face, "'watching some bloodless shadow of himself "'kick Chester Conklin up the arse. "'Trust me.' "'Maybe you're right,' Stan said. "'Maybe.' "'I am right,' I said. "'We are the ones who have got it made, not Charlie.' Stan didn't look altogether convinced. Charlie himself came in from the balcony just then and made a beeline for young Wallace, who was pulling magazines out of a wooden rack. I'd seen him doing it, just hadn't got round to stopping him. "'Here he is,' Charlie said. "'Here's the guest I've been neglecting so. "'Come and say hello to your Uncle Charlie.' Wallace trotted over easily enough, always happy to be the centre of attention, and the two of them sat side by side on a couple of steps that led up to the kitchen. And Charlie played with the lad quite happily for the next few minutes, managing to enthrall him without words, not that Wallace had all that many words to be going on with. He started by simply imitating everything the boy did, every gesture, every facial expression. Wallace stood up, Charlie stood up. Wallace scratched his nose, Charlie scratched his nose. Pretty soon the boy realised that he had a puppet at his disposal and started having a whale of a time making Charlie copy his every move. Then Charlie put a hat on little Wallace's head, liked it, but then wanted it back. And that hat got passed back and forth dozens of times, with the child in fits of giggles. Wallace ended up on Charlie's knee, having a seemingly interminable horsey ride, but our host showed no signs of tiring. Then Charlie said an odd thing. "'You know, I admire you, Arthur.' "'Taking care of this little chap can't be easy under the circumstances.' "'What circumstances do you mean?' I said. He paused for half a moment, just long enough for me to notice it. "'Well, on the road, moving from town to town, theatre to theatre, it can't be easy. That's all I meant.' "'Oh, we manage well enough, don't we?' I said, and Stan grinned. "'Who needs a father when he has such funny uncles?' Finally the knee stopped bouncing, and the horse he had had enough. "'Run along now.' Charlie said to Wallace, patting him on the bottom as he trotted over to Tilly, who was just coming in with Freddy from the balcony. Charlie remained sitting on the kitchen step, seemingly deep in thought, and there was an awkward silence for a moment or two, until Stan gave a little cough. "'We were thinking, uh, weren't we, Arthur?' Stan said, shooting me a look that pleaded with me to play along. "'That while we are here in Los Angeles, we should try and meet some movie people and see if we could make some progress.' The Nutty Burglars would be perfect for someone to see. It shows exactly what we can all do. Charlie's face, always so expressive, suddenly took on a haunted look. No, he said sharply, jumping to his feet. Don't do that. What? Stan said, juddering to a halt. Don't. Charlie relaxed and smiled. What I mean to say is, don't go to all the trouble of looking out the studios and trying to get a meeting with some self-important twit who will only say he can't possibly see you until the week after next, or maybe the week after that, by which time you'll be in... Oakland, probably, I said, wondering what Charlie was up to, off the top of my head. Oakland, exactly. Now, these guys, the guys you need to meet, these are the very same guys who are calling me all the time, morning, noon and night, trying to get me to leave Keystone, offering me this and that, so why don't I do this? I'll corral a bunch of these bigwigs together, the biggest wigs in town, I promise, and I'll bring them along with me when I come to see your nutty burglings. How would that be? You promise, I said, starting to laugh. Stan glared at me. Thanks, Charlie, that would be excellent, he gushed and took Charlie by the hand. 
Oh, come on, I scoffed. You don't really think. Arthur, Tilly scolded, Charlie's offering to help us. Yes, but you surely don't think he'll, he'll actually do what he says, do you? Well, why ever wouldn't I? Charlie said, a hurt expression on his face. Well, because... I stopped, because the answer seemed self-evident to me. Stan, Freddy and Tilly were all glowering at me as though I'd committed the most egregious faux pas. "'I assure you,' Charlie said, looking hurt, "'if there is anything I can do to help my old friends, then I shall do it. "'Now tell me, where is this extravaganza of yours to be found?' "'The place is called the Happy Hour,' I said, but Charlie held up a hand. "'Poynton! Oh, Poynton!' "'The valet—he had a valet—ghosted in from the kitchen. "'Sir, make a note of this, will you? Go on, Arthur.' Within a moment or two, young Poynton had a pencil poised above a small notepad which he'd magicked up from nowhere. "'It is called The Happy Hour,' I said to him. "'It is on Fifth, next to a carpet store called Hannigan's. "'We shall find it,' Charlie beamed. "'When will you come?' Stan said, feverish with excitement now. "'Shall we look for you tonight?' "'Ah,' Charlie said, tapping his fingernail on his front teeth. "'Tonight I have some friends who will take me automobiling, "'and then we will dine on the beach.' But before the end of the week, you can count on me. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Chapter 17. Promises, Promises. Our shows that afternoon and evening at the happy hour were not, it has to be said, the absolute apex of our careers. Maybe we'd all had a little too much champagne at lunchtime. More likely it was having to squeeze ourselves into that hot and filthy hovel of a dressing room we were sharing with three other turns, which was roughly half the size of the kitchen Chaplin's valet had had all to himself to chop cool cucumbers into precise and perfect slices. At the end of the evening, we were tired and crotchety, and Stan suddenly turned on me. "'Why did you have to antagonise him?' he demanded. "'Who?' I said. "'Charlie. Of course, Charlie.' "'Oh, come on,' I retorted. "'You don't seriously think he's going to put himself out on our behalf, do you?' "'Well, why wouldn't he?' "'We are talking about the same chap, aren't we? "'The one who couldn't wait to get a sack from Carno simply for being too funny. "'Well, we were all younger then, and maybe now he's doing so well he wants to make amends.' I believe that when I see it, I snorted. I think he's going to come, Freddy said. 
but he hadn't had quite the range of experiences with Chaplin that the rest of us had had. "'I hope he doesn't,' I said, "'because if he ever sees the nutty burglars, "'it'll be a Charlie Chaplin film before we know what's hit us. "'You know, Arthur, I think you are a tiny bit off your rocker "'where Charlie is concerned,' Stan said, "'grabbing his hat and stalking out. "'Back at our digs that night, "'which seemed even pokier than they had that morning, "'what with the drying nappies hanging as usual "'from a makeshift washing line, "'Tilly was subdued, preoccupied. "'I thought I knew why. "'Seeing Charlie again had plainly given her plenty to think about. "'Well,' I had a tidbit of information to offer up, gleaned from a glance at Variety's movie production gossip column. "'Oh, by the way,' I said, "'Tilly's punctured romance? It's not about you. It's nothing to do with you. He didn't even choose the character's name.' "'I'm sure I never thought that he did,' she said coolly. "'It was a play, on Broadway, called Tilly's Nightmare. Mary Dressler plays Tilly, a country bumpkin character, in any number of things. It's her conceit, not Charlie's. It's not even spelt the same way, just so you know.' thank you for that. I didn't want you to think that he might still have some feelings for me, you mean? Yes, actually, that is exactly what I mean. Understood. Because I believe he was trying to give you the impression that he was making a cinematic love letter of some kind. You're being absurd, Tilly said, and went into the bathroom. I stayed where I was. A frisson of something or other had happened. I wasn't quite sure how he'd done it, but somehow Charlie had interposed himself between us, and not for the first time. What could he do, though, really? I said to myself, what could he offer her? Apart from a balcony overlooking the Pacific and a Turkish bath and automobiling to the beach for dinner. I decided not to bring the matter up again. There was no sign of Charlie and his movie mogul posse for the next couple of days. Every performance at the happy hour, Stan would bound on stage full of beans, and then after a couple of minutes his shoulders would slump, which meant that he'd managed to scan the crowd out of the corner of his eye and knew that once again our old friend was a no-show. This didn't dent his optimism or his confidence that Charlie would give us a helping hand, and on those Los Angeles mornings he dragged Freddy out with him to scour the parks for flicker folk in action. Stan was mustard keen to learn all he could about how things worked, and one morning they stumbled upon a Keystone crew throwing Fatty Arbuckle into a boating lake. Stan was full of the experience, chattering happily away about clapperboards and hand-cranking right up to the moment we stepped onto the stage for our first show of the afternoon, only to find that once again there was neither untrustworthy hide nor tousled hair of Mr Chaplin to be glimpsed in the unprepossessing auditorium. One morning, towards the end of the week, I found myself alone in our digs with Wallace. Tilly had gone out on an errand, and Stan and Freddy were out hunting film crews, so the boy and I were left to entertain ourselves. Now that we'd grown used to one another, little Wallace and I were great chums. Even so, I'd felt a sharp pang of jealousy watching Charlie playing with him in his swanky apartment. "'You liked him, didn't you?' I said, and the lad blinked up at me from the counterpane. "'You thought he was funny.' "'Funny!' Wallace sang out. He knew that word. Well, I said, he's funny enough, if you like that sort of thing, but he's not as funny as your dad, is he, eh? Dad, the boy shouted. Shall we see who's the funniest? Shall we? The game that drove him wild with glee was a morning game. Before I had my shave, when there was a little rough stubble on my face, I would call out, Who wants a chin pie? The little lad would squeal and try to run away from me, and I would let him escape from my grasp, run between my legs, hide under the bed, but eventually I would catch him, lay him wriggling on top of the blankets, pull up his vest, and blow raspberries on his soft little tummy until he was weak with laughter. 
This game had become so established by that summer that I would lead into it sideways. "'What do you think?' I would muse with the boy sitting on my knee. "'What do you think is my favourite fruit?' "'Apple,' the tiny man would say. "'Very good,' I would say. "'And what do you think is my favourite colour? "'Blue!' he would shout. "'Very good again.' And what do you think is my favourite pie? Tato. No. Pumpkin. No. Blue. Wrong. My favourite pie is chin pie. Then I would make to start in with the raspberry thing and let him wriggle free so that the chasing could begin. He'd get a chin pie eventually, though, and we both knew it. So it wasn't long before I had him squealing, waving his arms and legs in the air, red in the face. It was satisfying to be able to make the boy laugh. But suddenly I wanted to top it, to make him laugh so hard it would obliterate the memory of the mysterious toothy stranger in his hat routine forever. I nipped into the bathroom, leaving Wallace still gasping on the bed. I grasped my badger bristle shaving brush and the bar of lathering soap and quickly covered my face until I looked like Father Christmas. "'Who wants chin pie with cream?' I called out and then burst into the bedroom again. Little Wallace's eyes were like saucers, and he screamed his head off, galloping desperately around the room as I lumbered in his wake. Of course I faked that I was going to catch him and then let him run off again, and when he could run no more, I blew soapy raspberries on his little belly until his screams of laughter brought angry thumping on the ceiling from the rudely awakened vaudevillians upstairs. The door to the corridor outside flew open, and Tilly was standing there. "'What on earth is going on here?' she cried. I grinned suddenly aware that there was shaving soap lather absolutely everywhere, on the walls, on the floor, on the clothes hanging over the back of a chair. "'We're just having a laugh, aren't we, Arthur?' I said. "'What have you done to him?' Tilly cried, swooping down on the boy. Wallace was bright red and pouring with sweat, lying on the bed, struggling for breath. "'Just playing?' I said, sheepishly. Wallace spluttered and then promptly threw up his breakfast." Tilly gasped and then rubbed his back gently, calming him down. "'There, there, darling,' she said. "'There, there.' She turned to me. "'Wet a towel. Go on with you.' I did as she asked, and she laid it tenderly on the child's forehead. Happily, he was back on a more even keel pretty quickly, and Tilly laid him on the bed for a breather. "'You can't get him excited like that. You'll make him unwell,' she hissed. "'Whatever were you thinking?' I shrugged, feeling pretty foolish, I must admit, because what I'd been thinking was— how very much funnier I was than Charlie Chaplin. He'd only made my son giggle. I had made him ill with laughter. The Saturday of our week in Los Angeles duly arrived, and Stan and Freddie were greatly excited ahead of our last four performances at the happy hour. Of course Charlie would want to come to the last show, Stan said, as we got outside a liquid lunch in a downtown Irish bar. He'll want to come for a drink afterwards, won't he? It's probably taken him a few days to dragoon those fellows he's going to bring with him, too, Freddy said. Exactly, Stan nodded. These are busy men. They'll take a bit of organising. Tilly wasn't with us. She and Wallace were lunching in the park, and in any case, she had not shown a great deal of interest in the prospect of the new start that Charlie and his chums might offer. I was still pretty sceptical about it all myself. Quite apart from not believing that Charlie would make good on his word, I still believed that the thriving vaudeville pond was the place to be, even if we currently found ourselves grubbing along the muddy bottom of it. However, the boys were fired up, and the more they talked about a future in Flickers, the more their enthusiasm began to rub off on me. "'The crew we saw the other day were having a lot of fun, weren't they?' Stan said. "'Oh, yes,' Freddy agreed. "'You see, they were filming a scene where the fat boy, 
Arbuckle, Stan put in, topples into a pond and he makes such a splash that all the rowing boats capsize. And of course no one would make a splash that big, however fat they were. So there were fellows hiding in the pond, up to their eyebrows in the water practically, whose job it was to pull the rowing boats over without the camera seeing. And they did it several ways round to try and find the best shot, as it were. And the whole thing was very... Stan scratched his head looking for the word. Inventive, somehow. It was as if they turned up at the park in the morning with just an idea, but no jokes at all, Freddy said, and the jokes just kept on coming, one on top of the other. It was quite exhilarating, really, to watch. Yes, said Stan, because you know how much we enjoy putting something together, like we did with the Rummans from Rome back in London, or with the nutty burglars out here. It's like that, but all day long. Right, I said, except you never get to do it in front of an audience, which is the whole point of comedy, isn't it? It's different, Stan conceded, but it still looks like fun. And the pay's better. Well, it could hardly be worse, could it? Freddy chipped in. Despite myself, I could feel my resistance weakening. And look at how Charlie is living. We could establish ourselves out here. No more travelling, no more digs. It will be better, surely, for your tiny man, more settled. Maybe, maybe you have a point, I said. But what could we actually do? Stan leaned forward across the table. He'd clearly given this some thought. Well, he said, there's the nutty burglars for a start. That would make a cracking little one-reeler. <laughs> you have all the terminology, I'll give you that. And that would get us up and running. And after that, we come up with something else. What about a flicker of your stowaway character? Freddy said. And that started the cogs wearing, and no mistake. Why not? Stan agreed. It could be every bit as good as that tramp thing Charlie's been doing. After all, it's practically the same stuff, isn't it? Roby's costume, Carno's drunk, that's all it is. <laughs> it's a little bit more than that, I said, but it's an interesting notion. By the time we left for the theatre, I was actually coming round to the idea and had started daydreaming about a future in which my gloriously funny stowaway eclipsed the miserably derivative Chaplin hobo before returning in triumph to big-time vaudeville with Tilly and my friends in support. Maybe, I thought, maybe it would just be worth a punt. So that afternoon, when Stan and I stepped onto the stage to begin our nutty burgling, I found myself scouring the faces in the audience every bit as eagerly as Stan was doing, checking for Charlie and his fine flicker friends. There was no sign of them in the first show, or the second, but we all agreed that we were relieved about that. The happy hour was barely half full, and the hot Californian summer made the crowds cranky, so we wouldn't have been seen at our best. By the time of the third show, the early evening offering, the weather had cooled off somewhat, and the house was nearly full. The nutty burglars were on fine form, but there was still no Charlie. As the last bill of the day got underway, everything seemed to be in our favour. It was a cool, fresh evening for once, so the dank pit that was the happy hour seemed more than usually habitable. A large crowd had come along, and the place was as full as we'd seen it. Best of all, though, was that some of the frankly feeble acts that preceded us were going down like Mary Lloyd at the Hippodrome. A great night was brewing. Stan and I stood in the wings, and he gave me a great big Stan grin, practically quivering with excitement. I grinned back, knowing as surely as I knew anything that these were the nights that brought the very best out of Stan, the nights where there was just a little extra on the line, and we weren't just going through the motions. Our signature music played, and the hands quickly shoved our bits and pieces of set into position. Stan and I slipped into place. The curtain went up, and we were off. The first few bits of business went off like clockwork, and the audience were with us. I even began to feel the tingle of the power, which was a very good sign. 
As the cracksman, I was huddled over the safe to begin with, so not able to scan the room right away, but I was confident that we were going to do a good one. Confident, that is, right up to the point when I was expecting a line from Stan, and he completely missed the cue. I looked up at him, and he was rooted to the spot, staring ahead. His shoulders were slumped, and he looked like he could barely bring himself to continue. This probably only lasted a second or two, but long enough to start that familiar grumbling in the audience as people nudged one another, wondering if they were about to witness a failure, something they could boo, something they could really get their teeth into. "'Hey, Waffles!' I called out, Waffles being Stan's nutty burglar name. "'We'd better get a shift on, don't you think?' Stan still stood with his arms by his side and looked like his mind was miles away. I began to become seriously concerned. "'Waffles?' I said again but there was little I could do to move the scene on without him. In fact, the only thing that would work was, "'What are you doing in here? Hey, you! I'm talking to you!' It was Tilly, the lifesaver. She'd marched on stage and slapped Stan around the chops. He started and looked around, seemingly realising only then where he was and what he was doing. We'd skipped some of our business, but now that Tilly was on, we could press forwards. Stan shook his head quickly, and then, to my great relief, he and Tilly began their flirty repartee, and the laughs began to flow again. I was so concerned about keeping the train on the rails that I didn't so much as glance out into the audience, and once we got Stan down into the dressing room, the three of us gathered around him to see what was wrong. "'Do you need anything, love?' Tilly said. "'A cup of tea? Would that do it?' "'I'm all right,' Stan said. "'I'm sorry, everyone. It was just—' "'What? What was the matter?' I looked out. And he wasn't there. Who? Charlie, do you mean? Stan nodded. And suddenly I was so... It was so... Disappointing that it threw me. I'm sorry, it won't won't happen again. But there was a big house tonight. Surely you couldn't see everyone, Freddy said. That's right, I said. And, And there were people standing at the back in the shadows. He'd most likely have been there, wouldn't he? He and these contacts of his had only wanted to nip in to see us. After all, they wouldn't have wanted to sit in for the whole bill. Stan brightened. "'You're right. You're right, of course,' he said. "'Let's go to the bar round the corner. Come on,' Freddy said. "'Charlie will probably be there already, waiting for us. You'll see.' He wasn't, though. We stayed there until two in the morning, and Chaplin didn't show, either on his own or with big wigs in tow. Stan, Freddy and I stared gloomily at the bottom of our glasses, till he left us to it hours before and there was nothing for it but to contemplate moving on to another week of small-time vaudeville up in Oakland. And suddenly, these small-time dates that we'd been enjoying so much stretched ahead of us like a jail sentence, with no prospect of remission for good behaviour. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.